Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 103, and today we are going behind the story, and I am your co-host, Nigel. And Tazzy is not here. That's usually where Tazzy would come in. Uh, Tazzy is currently on an in an undisclosed location on a film set somewhere in the world. Um probably London, probably UK, but who knows? But she's not here. Uh, She will be back with us for the next episode. So you are stuck with me today. It's just myself, but we do have a guest. And for our Behind the Story episodes, you know that we like to talk to creative professionals across industries to unpack the journey into their industry. So today we are going to hear the story behind comic creator Sabrina Coymans. Sabrina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Cool. And did I get your name right? Yeah. Good enough? Good enough. (laughs) Okay, cool. I I, I accept good enough. I got through most of school with good enough. So um, (laughs) we can can go. Um, How would you pronounce it? Coymans. Okay, there you go. Just so people know the right answer. Yeah. (laughs) Dutch names. It's, there you um, go. I know it, is, it can be a challenge. <laughs> so uh, as always, you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, you can always send us feedback and questions to feedback at mayamedup.com. Uh, drop them in our Discord uh, or throw them at us on social media. We are at mayameda on Twitter, at TV on Instagram, uh, and at Tazzy on uh, both. So before we get into uh, firing our questions at Sabrina, uh, let's just check in and find out what's happening in the Mayamada universe. We have our monthly series, Casual Conversations with Comic Creators, and we have uh, a special uh, thing going on. Actually, this episode is technically part of that. Um, we previously spoke with Dutch comic creator Renee Rientes. Again, I'm hoping I'm saying her name close enough. Um, um, so we spoke to her on the podcast. We will be speaking to her again on the next episode of Casual Conversations with Comic Creators. So this is a monthly series where I do one-on-one interviews with different comic creators around the world. So the idea is to showcase the human being behind the art that we all enjoy. So Renee and uh, Sabrina are part of a comic anthology. So over the series of podcasts and live stream interviews, we're getting to know a bit more about the creators behind it, and then we'll be able to direct people to the Kickstarter. So my discussion with Renee will be on Tuesday the 3rd of May from 7pm BST. Uh, So definitely look out for that so you can find more and support the Kickstarter when it goes live. And speaking of Kickstarters, we are also working behind the scenes. Ours is not quite ready yet, but we have plans for a Kickstarter for an upcoming manga that features Tazzy's character. So this will be under our origin storylines where we're taking uh, our real life Mayamata team that we've turned into characters in our universe uh, and developing short stories to explore their origins. So we've got a cool story with Tazzy in the works that is all about finding the confidence to follow your dreams when uh, a lot around you in society is telling you no. So uh, that's the inspiration behind that. And we're looking forward to bringing that out later in the year. And with our video game platform, uh, Gamepad, we have some exciting uh, developments 
well, actually, one that's not so exciting. We've had, we've had to uh, postpone or delay our next games night. So usually we do our games nights at the last Thursday of each month, which is coming up soon as I record this. But uh, like I said, Tazzy is in an undisclosed location. So we're going to give some time for that and then have a new date. So if you follow us on uh, social media, if you are on our newsletter, you'll get the heads up um, for the date. We'll be playing Halo, though, that we do know. So we're going to be playing Halo Infinite with Studio 77 members. And in the meantime, while you wait for that date, you can check out the highlights from our past games nights where we've played games such as Roblox, which was really fun, if slightly confusing, Fortnite and Rocket League and more to come. So check that out on YouTube. And then we do have, this is the exciting bit, we do have uh, news for our campaign events so earlier in the year, we launched the Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign with the idea being to promote diversity and inclusion in the video games industry. So you can check out looklikeagamer.com to see how we launched uh, the event with our 40 players and makers uh, from different backgrounds, ages, genders, ethnicity, uh, showcasing the diversity in games as a way to inspire young and aspiring games professionals so we will soon have the live stream uh, replay from our video game careers roundtable that we did at Palo Studios so that's going to come on our uh, YouTube channel and then we have the two events set so we will be running a family games design jam on Saturday the 4th of June and a cupcake and gamepad social uh, a networking event on saturday the 2nd of july so the games design jam we'll put the links in the show notes the games design jam is going to be at the redmond redmond community center and the networking event at the samsung kx uh, building in king's cross if you are uh, located in london you'll have an idea of where that is and the idea for both of those is for people to come and either learn about sort of game design uh, using tabletop game design. So going to be designing original tabletop card, board games, that kind of thing. And then a networking event is to provide a uh, safe, inclusive and fun because we're going to be playing video games, an environment for people to come and network with uh, peers or other people interested in being in the industry and uh, games professionals working in the industry uh, today. So all this is being made possible thanks to our sponsors. Uh, we have Rocksteady Studios and Splash Damage sponsoring the campaign that allows us to make these events uh, free for people to join uh, and take part in. So uh, thank you. Um, so that's what we've been up to. We have a busy few months ahead, but now you're caught up on what's happening with My Matter. Let's go behind the story with today's guest after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey everyone, if you've been listening to this podcast for long enough, you would have heard us talk about our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign. So this is a project we have started in 2020 with the aim of challenging the stereotypes around the word gamer, promote inclusion and diversity in the video games industry, 
and provide awareness of careers in the industry plus opportunities for young and aspiring professionals to develop skills. And I'm proud to say that we have been sponsored in that campaign by Splash Damage, who are also hiring. The London-based studio have recently announced they are working on a number of new titles built in Unreal Engine 5. And if you've seen any of the demos that have come out, you know that is very exciting. You might know Splash Damage from their work on Dirty Bomb, the Gears of War franchise, which I really enjoyed until my Xbox 360 suffered the fatal Red Ring of Death, but that's a whole other story. Brink and Wolfenstein Enemy Territory. But the studio is beginning an exciting new chapter with its own games and own IP and they are looking for talented and ambitious people to join them. And as we here at Mayamada continue to push for increased diversity and representation in video games, not just on screen, but behind the scenes, we're encouraging people to go and check them out. Splash Damage are offering in-studio, hybrid and remote working options. So head to careers.splashdamage.com to learn more. And now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. So Sabrina, as we mentioned, is uh, part of a group working on comics anthology, but she also does her own work. So we're going to dig into both of those. And uh, Sabrina, you are based in the Netherlands. You are our second Dutch comic creator that we've had <laughs> on. So do you want to uh, tell us a bit about where you're from and what your relationship was like with comics growing up? Uh, so I'm from a very small village in the Netherlands, and I grew up reading mostly uh, something called Suske and Viske, which is a, uh, I think it has Flemish, or I'm fairly certain it has Flemish origins. Wow, that and, sounds very specific, like the very uh, niche. Well, it's the biggest comic out here. It's like the biggest bestseller from uh, in both Belgium and the Netherlands. If you go to any random comic shop website uh, that is located here, and that isn't specialized specifically in manga or American comics, you will um, most likely see a Suska and Viska first thing on their website that they have the newest issue. It's ridiculous. It's a, a series that's been uh, uh, hanging around since forever. And we're all like older. <laughs> the, the newer generation comic artists are very sick and tired of it. Oh, um, wow. It's been around for too long. It's been around for too long. I think it's a part of the Flemish, uh, like it, it's a big, a big Flemish comic tradition. And I think in the Netherlands as well to make this huge serial based on uh, just a couple of characters. Like Tintin was uh, like that as well. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yep. I'm not sure if you guys know Robidoux and Coburnot. They're called Fantasio and well, names kind of escape me. But they, they're big serials that often get passed on to a next generation of artists that then continues the story. But right. the premise of the series doesn't always grow with the public, with the readers. Or they kind of assume that the same readers will continue to read it. So that Suska and Viska that originated as a kid's thing is still read by now a lot of 40 plus year olds that grew up with it. And it comes with, well, every now and then there's an issue that's a little bit tone deaf. 
And okay, so it hasn't kept yeah. pace maybe with... Yeah, it hasn't really kept pace with a younger generation of readers, in my opinion. It tends to take the spotlight here. So for a newly aspiring comic creator in the Netherlands, um, we often feel a little daunted by how of the publishers here stick to these safe and classic choices. Hmm. But, you know, that I didn't know all that growing up. I I just thought, okay, this is a comic. I didn't read it a whole lot. Later on, we got like magazines that had uh, comics for more my age, which were uh, a lot of fun to read. Uh, as soon as I got my library pass, I began uh, <laughs> scouring the comic section, that, which was really, really sad and small <laughs> in the library where my high school uh, was situated, which was a city, but it was a small city. Hmm. And library collections of comics tend to be eclectic and they tend to put everything in the kids section. So yeah, that resulted noticed. in it resulted in 11 year old me reading Akira. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. I but, can imagine. Yeah. Um, I didn't really think I'd become a comic artist uh, when I was growing up, but I did know I wanted to become an artist. You know, I think a lot of kids that age uh, that I was when you first start expressing what you want to become don't really realize that comic artist is something you can become. Yeah, um, I mean, even to to want to be an artist, was that something that was supported like let alone comic artists like when you when you said when you expressed like i want to be an artist was that did you get like a yeah let's do this or a, get yeah. a real job yeah i i have really supportive parents both of my parents became exactly what they wanted to be and they always put very high stock in making sure that we could pursue our dreams no matter what those dreams would be so when i said i wanted to become an artist and they knew like i was I was drawing all the time and uh, that wasn't going to go away. And sure, they knew that it was going to be uh, a challenging path or like, I'm not really sure if they fully understood how you could make a living out of it. <laughs> yeah. But they were like, well, sure, this is a thing that people do, so you can do it too. That's a good attitude. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, I always kind of kept that philosophy close to heart that if you do what you love, You'll never work a day in your life. Like in the end, it turned out that if you do what you love, you work, you work all the time. Most times, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least you have fun doing it, and that's what the most important thing is. If you're gonna work sixty percent of your life, you gotta do something that you enjoy. Yeah, you know, you when you, when you yeah when you put it like that, it's like you do work for most of your life, and it's like you yeah. have to you have to keep in mind. Like, I mean, it's a tough one because I think it's a good attitude that your parents had is like understanding you can do what you want i guess within reason because you know there's some limitations somewhere but you can make yeah. it but then it's that consideration of it's it's a different path so it's a yeah. more it can be more challenging path which yeah. doesn't mean you shouldn't do it you're just being aware of like there, exactly. there's a different road i did have one uncle who was uh when i was kind of in a slump told me that maybe i should learn something different Oh. And then I just went full on into this out of spite. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I was going to ask, like, because there's no, different ways was, to take that. Yeah, no, exactly. Because, like, I used to uh, do graphic design because that's kind of what you do when you're too young to go into the higher level art education. You go to study graphic design. 
And I never finished that because I had to find an internship. And all I had to show for my education was illustrations. Um, right. Yeah, it's like nothing really graphic designy. So I, I felt inadequate to uh, find uh, an internship. So, uh, yeah, I quit that education and then it was kind of like, well, I'll become a comic artist on my own accord. So at what point did you want to become a, so go from being an artist to a comic artist specifically? Like, did something happen to make you want to narrow your focus in that direction? It was a combination of two things. The first one was I broke up with my then boyfriend and I realized I had to do something with my life. So I applied for a, a small art school that was close to where my parents lived because I was afraid to leave the house, uh, as in live on myself, on my own. And um, I didn't get in because they said, you're more of a drawer than a painter. And they were right, of course. I knew that. I knew yeah. I didn't want to paint, <laughs> but I wanted to become an artist. So painting was part of that. And uh, a different part of it was that uh, I was approached by a, a different illustrator and comic artist here in the Netherlands called uh, Marissa Delbrisine, who asked me if, if I wanted to make a comic for their... Uh, doujinshi circle so that's a japanese comic circle that likes to make uh i think mostly fan comics but the doujinshi circle we were in did uh, a lot of original work yeah and i thought that was so flattering and so nice and then i made my very first comic and i really enjoyed myself so, uh, and i found out that you could self-publish that stuff and yeah, then that rejection came in and I knew that there was a comic design study and I was like, okay, I got to do this. I just have to leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> you have to jump. Get my own place. Yeah. <laughs> move move three hours away and uh, do this thing. Cool. So like that first comic, I mean, was that something where you look back and how do you how do you feel about it looking back? Because I know like when I look back at the first comic I wrote and in fact, I try not to because I know I'll start picking picking holes in it. So how do you feel about looking back at your early work? It's awful. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not the it's only awful. one then. <laughs> it, yeah, it doesn't help that it was um, uh, a boys love doujinshi circle. So okay. it's also <laughs> very cringy. But yeah, uh, I can definitely, <laughs> it's nice to see your old work and then your new work and compare it and be like, okay, yeah, I improved a lot. That's true. And that's true. that goes for the storytelling part. Of it. Yeah, I get that. I think it's that's a good way to look at it. You kind of see the progress. And I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but I find it can be hard to see the progress sometimes because you're always, or I'm always looking like forward yeah. and looking like to, how can I improve? How can we do this better? Um, yeah. But then when you look back, you're like, oh, I, I would not make a comic like that now yeah. because I'm, I'm a lot better. I, I recommend everybody make a, who wants to get into comic to just make a, a webcomic. Because then every now and then you get to go back to that first play, the page and you can cringe so hard at your own art and be like, oh man, it became better. And then you have to tell yourself not to redo everything. Yeah, exactly. You have to hold <laughs> hold back and like just leave yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's in the just past. Leave it. it's yeah, I, I always love when we get comic creators on, and they always give the which is good advice to sort of start start small, 
like you yeah. know, do a page of webcomic and i always have to say like we did the opposite and tried to do like a massive um and basically tried to start with an anthology like when we had never created a comic before and then yeah. had to scale that down to what is still looking back i realized quite a big effort in terms of a 50 page comic that we then mm-hmm. finished into a full volume of 140 pages or something like that but yeah so i always laugh because like we just and did not start the right way yeah definitely the first thing i tell people is like please start small and then you know every every comic artist that starts out will be like you started small but that's not me yeah and then yeah. they i've got they, big ideas yeah, and then they begin with their 100-plus comic story, and they don't finish it. And that's fine, too. But at least, you know, you got that out of your system, I guess. Yeah, it's good. I mean, to be fair, we, we did finish it, and then we mm-hmm. made, like, uh, two other volumes and then working on more. So we we, we got there. We yeah. got there. It's just, uh, yeah. I, I think I'm just – I'm so glad that I can't draw, and we have a, a great artist because – yeah, that would have killed me if I had uh, tried. I probably would have like tried to work through that if I could draw as well. But yeah, that would have that would have killed me. So thankfully, we have a good artist that could uh, make our uh, crazy ideas into something that looked good and people wanted to buy. Yeah, I mean, there's exceptions everywhere because like uh, Emil Ferris, who I think won an Eisner Award with uh, I own uh, it was something with monsters. I, that was her first comic and that wow. book is a doorstopper it's so huge and it's beautiful it's gorgeous work she's been an illustrator all her life and she was also uh i think past her 50s when she made it uh so it's uh, you know there's there's exceptions to everything and if you have a story to tell you just need to tell it yeah that's that's good advice and yeah yeah, I can't even say anything to to add to that. I think that's that's great advice. So, I mean, in terms of like the stories that you tell, and you talked about your sort of very first um, comic uh, comic attempts, but you've also you do have a a book like your first book out. Do you want to tell us at what point in your journey that that first book came, and how did you feel about getting something that was that was done, it was readable, and and putting it out in the world? I mostly felt just really fortunate because. I just graduated, so like for four years, I gave everything that I had to give. I was exhausted. I uh, presented this comic initially as a webcomic to be re- read on uh, mobile devices. So it's uh, roughly three panels a page, uh, so that they're really nice, big, readable panels. Hmm. And I presented them on like tablets uh, so that people could read them in the exposition that we had of our final work. And there is a, a small publisher here in the Netherlands that uh, I already had a bit of contact with from the old Dojinchi years, because the comic world here is so small. <laughs> Literally, everybody knows everybody. <laughs> and he saw it. And, well, the, not the guy that I knew, but the, uh, the, the other half of that duo saw it. And he was charmed by it and thought this would be perfect for the manga label that we have in terms of size mostly, because um, I wouldn't really call it manga, although my style is very inspired by manga. Mm. And it got picked up by that label uh, and became a very, very pretty first book rather shortly after my graduation. 
nice graduation present. Yeah, it's uh, the best graduation gift, I would say. And such a, a flattering uh, experience as well that they thought it was good enough to be uh, picked up like that. Yeah. And what was the story about? It's a thriller about um, a woman who joins her, her partner on a trip to a sort of ghostly coastal area. Um, I don't think it's quite like what she envisioned before she left, hmm. but they get uh, uh, there, they stay at a small hotel and things start to get very freaky quickly from there on. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a horror story that makes you think at the end uh, nice. with a little twist on it. I like to call it my, my version of uh, death and the acceptance thereof. Interesting. That's an yes. interesting approach for a story. It's quite yeah. a, a big topic. Yeah, it's very art schooly, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> going to the philosophy. <laughs> Straight out of art school. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you think? Because, you know, like, well done for getting picked up by a publisher. I mean, you, like, you say, you know, you're a small uh, town and everything, but you still, you know, there's a process and they don't accept everyone. What do you think? What do you think it was about you or your work that made you stand out? Um, that's a difficult one. I think one of the selling points in this case was that it was already done. I did make some small edits to the published edition. Like I changed some panels I wasn't happy with. And because I made it for a phone size, all the panels were just as wide. Yep. And for the printed edition, they thought it would be nicer if some of the panels could cover the whole page because uh, a phone is slightly slimmer than a, a, sure. a yeah than a page would be uh, so i had to draw little edges extra edges on some of the panels and uh, change some stuff around but overall the changes were very small and uh, they it was a, so a solid enough story for them to pick up it was yeah, as I said, complete. It was uh, uh, attractive in uh, how it looked. And uh, I guess in this case, it also helped that this uh, particular publisher was very open to uh, new artists. And I think that is one of the most important things. You got to find a publisher um, that makes the genre uh, comics that you want to make or that is open to new names. Yeah, no, that makes and, sense. Yeah. And if you can meet with them on conventions and stuff like that, you can also see if you have a good click with them. Because at the end of the day, you're going to spar with them about the story as well. Like personally, like just talk to them as, as people and just get, yeah. get to know them. Yeah. I know um, in the Netherlands, we uh, a, a comic just came out that is by a friend of mine called Steric. And she made a, a, a lesbian fantasy story. And that sort of stuff hasn't really been published here in the Netherlands. And the publishers uh, of it, uh, she told me that she wasn't quite sure if they fully understood what the feeling behind this comic was, but they understood that there was a market for it and that people wanted these types of stories right now. And that sometimes also is enough is to see that uh, somebody is open to uh, seize this new opportunity. Uh, again, a good bit of advice, especially with, like you say, having something finished. And I think that that makes all the difference because it's when it's done, it 
exists. Um, exactly. So if almost anything before that is is just talk, and anyone can talk. Anyone can say, "I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna make the best comic, and it's gonna be great, and you're gonna love it, and you should definitely pick it up." Where is yeah. it? it's coming yeah. <laughs> well when it comes then let us yeah. know so i think it's so important like it's a it sounds obvious but it's it's really important because you know you talked about people starting out and maybe thinking too big and having um too big a project to start with not yeah. finishing whereas if you make something small and it's done it's yeah. done people can see it and it, it changes things and like it, it it changes from um from project to project because the project I am doing for that same publisher right now isn't done, not at all. I'm still making it. So having something done and published uh, is very good for being able to show that, hey, a publisher had this trust in me and I can, I have good work ethic. I can finish a complete story and it can be published. So even if you then start pitching your new ideas, make sure you have a couple of pages ready. And uh, at least a solid idea of what plot points happen where in the story. You know, have a good grasp on how it starts and how it ends. Yeah, yeah, and like the like in in film, um, there's that idea of the sort of the pitch, the the summary, uh, mm. the uh, log line, something it's called, like that short kind of what is the story about? You know, why should we care? Just having that in in hand when you're making your your comics even if especially if you want to pitch it to a publisher and, and get that attention mm-hmm. and like you mentioned sort of being inspired by manga uh, you mentioned reading akira and um how has that influenced your work and this is not the best question for a podcast but how would you describe your um artistic style mm. when i just started out i only had manga to really go off in terms of inspiration Mm. and even at the start it was just the stuff that got translated to the netherlands because i grew up in the exact right time frame where they still translated some manga to dutch right now everybody just wants to read it in english so they don't even bother anymore Um, but that also means that uh because I really went deep into the weeaboo years there, uh, <laughs> that my style back then was very forced. Like, I really wanted it to be like manga. And that's just not great. I wanted to emulate uh, uh, the spirit of manga too much. So, yeah, here is another bit of advice. Don't just look at manga. Just look at European comics. Look at uh, American comics. Look at... Uh, animations, anything uh, and everything goes here. But just don't try to stick too much to one type of medium because you will learn not just the perks of it, you will also learn the downfalls of it. And if you don't really understand why things are done as they are done, it will always look like a cheap knockoff. So, But I really only started looking at European comics and uh, American comics after I started my education in comic design. Because before that time, I knew it existed, but in my mind it had a very dusty uh, sort of vibe to it because a lot of European comics uh, uh, were made with watercolors. And sure, there was a lot of detail, but it was all kind of muddy in colors. 
and American comics kind of had the same problem for me, but instead of the muddy colors, it was all these solid blacks and just completely covered in uh, neon pinks against <laughs> dark blues. So it was it, it, both of those felt too crowded for me uh, in different uh, senses of the word, whereas manga was very calm and had, it had panels with only scenery and it had breathing space and it was just every subject was available to you so that one mm. made more sense to me yeah i've always appreciated that about manga and, and anime where you, the the diversity of of storylines mm -hmm. and premises and environments and it's just it's so it's just wide and wild yeah. sometimes yeah. And, um crazy so i was appreciate that because it just like it it made me feel that i can i can make anything and yeah. make it fit <laughs> somewhere yeah anything goes it's great yeah as long as you can take a make a good story um from it and it's interesting to that you said you felt or you felt you were forcing the style so was that to say yeah. like you were trying to do something you weren't comfortable drawing or like it wasn't your natural style it wasn't my natural style like i was comfortable drawing whatever but the um, you could tell that what i drew was trying to emulate something else right and in this case it wanted to emulate manga and like sometimes that worked sometimes it was fine but most of the times you could just see you know a young artist that was really into manga and really only saw manga uh, and especially in like the way you set up panels and uh, page layouts that's where it really starts to show because even if your your drawing style is uh, good enough to to comfortably fit the manga style you often see that the way i did my like the way i set up my panels back then I didn't truly understand like why they sometimes cut a panel in half to uh, really frame uh, something that was going on with the hand or the mouth or the eyes or whatever. Um, I, they, I didn't fully understand why sometimes a panel would bleed off the page, uh, things like that. Okay. So was there an element of imitating a style while you learned your own style and, and the fundamentals of that style? Absolutely. I mean, everybody has inspirations. And I think the goal of inspirations is not to perfectly emulate them, but to pick the things that you really like about it and make them your own thing. Um, so besides uh, manga back then, one of my big inspirations is Cyril Pedrosa, who uh, just has a lovely way of handling lines and colors, uh, especially the way he handled, uh, handles com colors was an eye opener for me and yeah there are more artists like that uh bertrand gatignol uh, french comic artist who did a serial about giants uh his line work is just amazing the way he does expressions is amazing the way he sets up the scene is amazing and like if you uh look at artwork like that and um take in all the details and take in why certain choices were made you can use that to uh, uh empower your own artwork no for sure and i think like it's 
it's always good for people like people listening that you know want to do their own artwork or like aspiring to that is understanding that when you like when you read a comic and it applies for sort of other mediums but like when you read a comic you're seeing the result of like loads of different creative decisions yes. and it's about if you want to work in understanding those decisions that have been made and that you know where you might do the same thing where you might do something different because it's yeah. not just like you say it's not just imitating what you see it's understanding how it was made so that's good that yeah you, you sort of found that you found your uh, own style so in terms of the so we talked about like your your first comic and you've also got a web comic which is that your weekly um series that uh, can't eat dreams yeah, it's um, a weekly slash monthly, I guess, um, comic that uh, is based off a D&D session I play in as a, a as a player character. It's about a, a rogue half elf who is very charming, but also a rogue. So also very edgy, who runs into a young gnomish uh, barbarian girl with a conscience. And it's just that nice... A uh, mix of a big grumpy and small cheerful going on a journey and uh, possibly setting up a rebellion. Uh, so the story is really, uh, I'm really trying to take people along on the journey and all the feelings that come with uh, playing this game. And I say monthly slash weekly because I upload roughly three to four pages every month and uh, like an episode goes up in uh, like one chunk on uh, tapas and my patreon uh whilst uh on my instagram and twitter i upload one page every week cool all right i want to know a bit more about like the sort of tapas and patreon and, and webtoons but you did mention uh D, so i have to ask cause, so i've not played D yet um, uh-huh. okay and i i really should because I'm a storyteller, so uh, mm. that's shame on me. But I'm always interested to know because it's come up a few times on on the show and just in in conversation with people, like how that impacts your work as a storyteller uh, playing D and D. So for me, it helps with the character immersion and the world building aspect of it because I'm also a, a dungeon master, so I set up a world where I unleash the players into. And the way I set it up is I make this world and I let uh, a conflict play out as if the players weren't there. But uh, And then the players are let loose on it and need to interact with those problems, solve them, run all over them, because that's just what they do. And you as a dungeon master need to figure out, okay, how does this world and how do the NPCs uh, all react to that situation uh, to their plans being foiled do they pick it up again don't they pick it up again and it also helps you accept imperfections in your storytelling because once you make a choice it's made you can't go back and redo a choice uh, like you would maybe in a video game if you uh, want to uh, reach a certain outcome and I think that's also very important because perfectionism is the bane of a lot of good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. It's like, a, yeah, you always, you think it's a thing that you can get to perfection and it's not. It's, no. It's, it's yeah. Uh, or at least I haven't got to it yet. So it's boring too. It's like, okay, so you have the perfect thing 
wonderful or what's interesting about it. Yeah. So do you find like the, because you, you mentioned in terms of like D&D, you being okay with imperfections, do you find that allows you to sort of find the interesting angles in your story or the way you make stories? Yes, absolutely. And it also uh, helps you just, you have to make decisions on the fly and it helps you realize that it doesn't really matter what type of dec- decision you make. Uh, once you've made the decision, it's set and it's done and you can work with that. Yeah. And if you do hit a snag in the road later on, you can always go back and change the decision in your storytelling to something that wouldn't uh, uh, end in that same problem. But at least you made the choice and it's out of your system now and you can just move on. And that's also just a really great asset. Yeah, it's that, that indecision that kills you, like really. In, in yeah, like, it's so many stagnate. It'll, yeah. Yeah, I get that. So what do you think is the balance between... As a as a creator, you wanna you want to do good work and you want to do the best you can. Mm-hmm. But like I was saying, there's no perfection, so you can spend you know all the time there is and not get to perfection. So where do you strike that balance between like this is the best I've got, but maybe I can do better, but not right now? Because how do you make that decision? For illustrations, you can really go all out, right? I can spend a week doing an illustration, maybe even longer if I'm really, really into it and really dedicated to the idea. But you don't want to spend a week on every page of your 500-page comic book. So for comics, I think you need to really find that sweet spot between making the art you like and saying, okay, this is good enough. I put enough energy in this. I can move on to the next page now. Ideally, like if I can go all out on a comic, uh, I'm still at about three pages every week because that way I don't put all my time and energy into into yeah, just trying to get that perfect page. And yeah, they don't look like my illustrations. Not by a far cry, but not a lot of comic artists can keep up that type of quality in both their illustration work and their comic. Yeah, no, it is it is difficult. I think, like you say, it's about understanding. I guess because when you say good enough, like good enough means and good enough means different things in different situations. So yeah. it's always like dependent, right? It's like if I have time, then I can do more. But if I have less time, then I need to do the best I can with the time I have. I mean, still to a certain point, because as I said, you, even if you're going to make a comic uh, that consists out of four pages, if you spend a month on every page of that comic, mm. you'll still feel burnt out at the end of those four months and just tired. And you don't want to see that thing anymore. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, have you? Is that a point that you've ever gotten to with your work in terms of of burnout? And and if so, like, how have you dealt with it? Uh, I've had it like way in the beginning, where I was uh, uh, was asked to do a comic for uh, like a second Dojinshi Circle. It was still very early on in in my adventures. I never got further than the sketch phase for that comic, but. Like the sketches were already so uh, detailed. Like I put too much energy into that thing. I already told the story and then I still needed to make it. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's 
Yeah, you gotta you gotta know where you want to put your energy, and it's not in the sketch phase. <laughs> <laughs> and you also don't want to spend ages on finishing it either, because yeah, it'll be at some point you stop seeing the good in your own story as well because you've been looking at it for so long, and once that happens, it's really hard to keep up motivation to keep building. Yeah, I get that. I mean, from at least from a writing perspective, I can imagine like you spend too much time because sometimes you need a you need that break. But then, like you say, you need to I guess, know where to spend your energy and kind of look at it. I guess look at it as a the whole project because if you're giving everything to like the the first stage of I don't know four stages in in the process, yeah, and you still got more to go, then it doesn't make sense. So you want to like realize what to put in for each stage, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So with your with your comics, I wanted to bring up the Kickstarter and especially because you use, so when I say Kickstarter, like crowdfunding, because you use different mm-hmm. platforms. So you've got your uh, comics on Tapas and Webtoons and then you've also got a Patreon. So what is that? what have those platforms like done for you in terms of like being able to get your work out? Not a whole lot yet, but especially like Patreon is very interesting if you have a uh, larger following already, or, you know, even uh, just a couple of people who are willing to uh, give you a buck, because every buck is one more that you wouldn't have earned otherwise. So for me, my Patreon at this point is not hugely popular by Far Cry, but I do. And that's also kind of what I think you need to decide for yourself. Like, when I first set up my my Patreon, I made up all these tiers and like first tier was you would get sketches and like work in progress uh, things. And then you would get the second tier and that was like early access to my comics. Uh, and then it was a third tier and those could get some, uh, those could, could suggest what I would draw uh, uh, once every month and uh, even a higher tier that would get cool comic PDFs and things like that. And that's all very cool and dandy, but I really couldn't afford uh, putting in that kind of time in my Patreon for (laughs) the amount of uh, money I got back from it. So right now I uh, downgraded it to a a sort of tip jar system so people can uh, sign up for one euro or one euro 50 and like you can manually adjust that amount right as you as you see fit but at least it's like okay so you're only putting in one dollar you get early access to my comic you get early access to my illustrations but at this point because the amount i gain from it is so low i am not putting extra energy in the patreon and i will once it starts going up but yeah no i, I get that totally i mean now we've made use of patreon i didn't think it worked for us but we're looking at some other avenues um in terms of like membership and stuff and trying to figure out yeah what's the the right level to pitch at when you're beginning something and it's a similar thing like we're talking about we're making comics in general is like not trying to do everything at once yeah especially when you you're looking at other people and seeing you know maybe people like you said might have uh, already established audiences or whatever they've already got and then you're trying to do what they're doing but you need yeah. to start where you are and then yeah. um, work on that. So, but I mean, one of the things that you are doing, or at least involved in, is a Kickstarter project with uh, with Renee. So I mentioned 
the anthology uh, figments. So how did you get involved in that? Uh, Rene is a very good personal friend of mine. We actually met at a 24-hour comic de- uh, event uh, at the school I was uh, attending, the comic design school. Oh, okay. And uh, she did Oyazumi with a group of friends, uh, other artists. Yeah, we talked and, about it in our first interview with her. Yeah, exactly. And uh, she came to uh, me and uh, a good friend of ours, uh, which with whom I attend conventions and stuff, with uh, the idea to do another project like that. But uh, she wanted it to be more her thing. She wanted to combine it with settled, uh, established artists and some new upcoming artists. So, uh, yeah, I was very lucky to be asked for uh, that project. Very glad that she had that kind of faith. Because, you know, especially with projects you do uh, with friends, you really need to be careful which how well do you know your friends? Because, you know, (laughs) at that point, it becomes a professional relationship as well. I definitely had times where Renee had to uh, push us uh, to get things done done in time. And then you really need to be able to deal with that. Like, okay, this is my friend. But yeah, she also needs to see results now. So let's get to it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So I guess from Renee's perspective, well, for everyone, but because Renee being the editor and bringing things together and needing to wear different hats in terms of like, sort of yeah being being friends but now we you know we're doing a project and we need the artwork so was that like a big adjustment for you Mm, sometimes but i think it helps that we already had a very open kind of report going where i would often send my work to her for feedback and she would often send uh, her work to me for feedback as well Okay. So I was already used to the way she would give feedback. And then it's still, you know, it, it still snags every now and then. But you know who you're talking to and you know what their intentions are. And I think that really helps. Yeah. I mean, feedback's, uh, you know, feedback and in, in a general sense, feedback and criticism are can be tough ones for like creatives to to deal with because your, your work can be so personal. And then yeah. like, feedback criticism can be taken personally but then yeah it's about having the right relationships to to give and receive feedback yeah. as well yeah so i want to uh make sure before we uh and we get to our our guest tip but i've got one more question before we get to that and just hearing about your your journey and if you are looking back like what would you tell your younger self to look out for at the start of your journey um hmm. I think I would tell them to take their time uh and to not I was a very weepy weepy kid uh very afraid of the world and I think I would tell tell them to be to find that place uh where they'd fit in and uh to work from there you can it's it's so much easier to explore uh, what you like and what you love from a place uh, where you're already surrounded by by the things that you love and, and where you feel at ease. Hmm. So, uh, and I think I always I always try to be some perfect version of myself, and that that's really exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. That's yeah. 
Okay, so I guess that kind of takes us into our guest advice section. In each interview, we like to ask our guests to give advice for aspiring creative professionals. Uh, I mean, we've heard a lot, but uh, I'm sure there's uh, there's more you've got because we're talking comics. And mm-hmm. um, what advice do you have for others who are listening who may want to get started with creating their own comics? Ironically enough, because I just said, uh, don't try to be so perfect. My advice would be, Never talk down on yourself and your work. Never. Not online, and especially not to people you're pitching your project to. You can, of course, admit to your insecurities to friends and and, uh, all that, like your personal uh, circle. But if you don't think your project is worth anybody's time, then, and you let that, you tell that to someone as you're pitching it, why would they give it why why would they give it a chance same for online presence like people come here to see pretty pictures uh, and read touching stories and if you end end that message with yeah i didn't quite get the the, um, the 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 twist right on this bit or i know the expression was a little off on that last page it's just it's not going to add anything to to what you're making so be confident in your work and uh, let people know that you're confident yeah no that's really good advice and even like as usually happens with when we do our interviews taz and i always say like they're actually for us (laughs) because often like we need to take the advice uh, as well and i feel that one is definitely one that i can learn from because i feel uh, and you know sometimes as like when you're doing creative things you you can be your own w- critic your own worst critic Absolutely. and you can you can present something and it's very it can be very subtle at times you can present something that someone like the other person receives well and and enjoys and then you add you add the criticism <laughs> like you're saying you say oh i didn't quite get this expression right and no one mentioned anything you're just yeah. offering it like free exactly. for no reason and then it yeah. changes the perception and it's like why are you giving yourself more work? Because if they say it's fine, if they don't see it, you got away with it. It's fine. You're done. <laughs> you don't have to go back in and change that little thing. Exactly. And you can you can carry it forward. Like you can say, oh, next time I can, this here's where I can improve. I mean, because yeah. you always want to improve that. That's good. But yeah, don't downplay your work. And so... I like because you broke it down on two sides. There's the internally, you don't want to do that to yourself. and um, yeah. But then uh, sometimes it's a lot about perception. Yeah. So if people perceive you as, oh, maybe they're not so good. Maybe they're not so confident. Maybe yeah. they should go somewhere else. You also yeah. don't want to do that. So yeah, no, that's really good advice. And I, I think it's something that particularly you know, for people starting out. Yeah. And, you know, it's also a, a bit consider it because once you present your work with like yeah but like the composition is off and i don't like the colors you kind of put pressure on the other person to compliment you instead and it's just kind of mean it's i never thought that yeah it's just don't don't put pressure on people like that yeah um it's not not their job to make sure you're well i mean other people can make you feel confident, but it works better for you if they compliment you from their own accord 
And you, you often find that they might even compliment you on the bits that you were very insecure about. Yeah, because everyone's got a different view, different perspective, and you'll find yeah. that something you're like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Other people will be like, I love it. Exactly. The imperfections make the art. There you go. So, yeah. So, listeners, you can let us know what you think of that. A uh, bit of feedback and the interview in general. Feedback at mymatter.com. Uh, so, before we wrap up, uh, we have to get to our bonus round. And this will be usually the part where Tazzy comes in. So, you might have to imagine Tazzy's voice as I <laughs> continue talking. But this is the part where we throw random questions uh, or follow-up questions, things that might not fit in the interview. And one of the things, uh, add a couple questions, something that we actually were talking about before we were recording, but you did mm. mention that you do workshops with kids. And yes. I was interested to uh, hear other people's uh, experiences of working uh, with kids. So what age and so yeah so the first question is what age kids and, and how much energy do they drain from you um and what do you do in the, in the session oh gosh um so i <laughs> i work with all all sizes and ages um because as i said i work uh, uh with uh, the community um i've done some that were explicitly for small kids but the one that drained me the most was for teenagers because these that's when that's when the, that perfectionism starts kicking in that's where people start wanting wanting to make something that is pretty and that works so they are instantly unwilling to even try yeah i've i've seen this i've yeah. seen this yeah and that's just like okay so you can't you can't draw that's fine but you can hold a pencil and there's a piece <laughs> of paper so i think you can draw actually it's just maybe not what you envision uh, it's not perfect, but it's gonna be it's gonna be your style and it's gonna be your thing. And I always try to carry a lot of that positivity uh, with me to all my workshops. And you know, usually that works. Sometimes you get a person that's like, "Yeah, uh, you have to say this because you're the workshop leader," and uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm in a similar position. So I also do workshops with. Uh, young people of different ages, so as, as young as eight up until mm. um, like eight or twenties, actually, some um, in different different situations, and it's kind of a shame actually because I've I've seen what you're describing where like I go into a session with like eight to ten year olds mm -hmm. and you ask them can they do whatever it is and they're like yeah I could do it I could draw yeah I could tell a story and yeah I'm I'm in it and then you yeah. see the change from eleven twelve thirteen once you get to sort of. 13 to 16 yeah. when suddenly it's like oh no i can't do this i can't i don't want to stand out i don't want to be yeah. wrong i don't know what it is but it's it it can be a, a shame to see yeah yeah absolutely like i did a button workshop uh, a couple oh a week or two ago where uh, i had a group of older ladies who joined me at the table and like they got real, they got going once I got some examples out, like what they what they could do with the materials that I put out. Uh, but I also got this little girl, a three year old girl, who just wanted to draw Elsa and Olaf and Anna, and I gave her the colors that she needed for that. And then she just blotched the paper with those colors, and it was that was Anna and Olaf and, <laughs> and Elsa. It was perfect. It was perfect. It was the most interesting button I made all day. There you go. <laughs> so, and that's that's the really cool thing. Like with with younger kids, is they're all, they're just willing to try 
things yeah. and i think that's uh it's such a good thing that you you want to you want them to hold on to for as long as possible yeah exactly so that's cool and um but last question is uh whenever people mention manga can't let an interview finish without asking favorite manga or anime or things that you're what you're reading or watching at the moment i just finished ranking of kings and it's so good oh, okay. um so that that's one of one of my um I, I would i would say it's one of my favorites but it's just because i watched it recently and i really enjoyed it when i watch anime with my roommate we usually watch it very macho <laughs> big big explosions kind of things like uh, garo vanishing line and things yep. like that for manga uh one of my favorites in my bookcase would be i think bright story uh, which is a very detailed manga, very lovely exploration of Silk Road and uh, rights to be in that area. Uh, it's very day-to-day -day life, uh, the nomadic people with such uh, attention to like patterns and uh, what they, uh, how they live their, their daily lives, a bit through the scope of uh, uh, an explorer that, from from England that is just traveling along those roads and meeting these different people. Um, and I really enjoy uh, reading that one. Wow, yeah. Again, uh, manga, anime, you find stories that you just... That I wouldn't have thought you could make a story from that. And mm -hmm. you make, can make a story and you can find an audience with it. So yeah. that is... Yeah, that, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Cool. And Sabrina, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and find out about like sort of where you've been, the journey you've been on. Uh, got some manga tips uh, there as well. So I made a note of that. And uh, yeah, just advice for people also on the journey. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for taking part in this interview. Thank you for having me. It was uh, fun to talk to you. No, I appreciate that and always appreciate when people make the time to chat with us. And if you have been listening and enjoyed this episode, hopefully you have because you got to the end. So you must have uh, enjoyed something. Um, you can subscribe to Story X Story uh, so you don't miss a future episode. And you can also go back in time and check out our past interviews, our past deep dives. Uh, you can also give us a five star rating and review wherever they let you do that. Uh, and that helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. Uh, and speaking of manga, our manga, Serious Through the Fog, is out. Our latest manga uh, is available along with the others in the My Matter universe. So you can check out all those titles at mymatter.com forward slash manga. You can also join our Studio 77 Discord, where you can join the community, chat with us, find out what we're up to as we make more manga, as we do more events and have more discussions like these. And you can also consider becoming a member for exclusive access to certain gamepad events and content from the My Matter universe. And I mentioned at the top that our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game campaign is now live. We've launched it. We launched it back in February with our photo campaign showcasing 40 players and makers uh, of different backgrounds, showcasing the diversity so that future generations of talent will know there's a place for them in video games. And we're coming with events and activities to empower young and aspiring professionals to be an active part of shaping the future of the video games industry. So we've got a bunch of plans, including a couple of events, our networking event and our 
family games design jam so you can check those out um, plus other bits we're, we're coming to conventions and we've got uh, other things in the works so looklikeagamer.com is the website to keep up to date there and you can stay tuned for more podcast episodes including creator interviews like these video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture uh, you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at mymatter.com and our website with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story. So until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, and we will see you again soon. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.